So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1462, Managing Our Financial Anxiety and Stress in 2023 with coach Nicole Stanley, founder of Arise Financial Coaching. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. The biggest thing you can do is just say, how can I get out of all or nothing and do something that is actually going to be accomplishable and then look for resources that support the goal you're trying to hit. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, we're midway through January. And for those of us who establish any financial intentions for this year, we may already feel stuck, overwhelmed. So back by popular demand is guest Nicole Stanley. She's the founder and head financial coach at Arise Financial Coaching. And for those of you who've been with the podcast for a little bit, you remember Nicole, she was here in May of 2022 talking about all of our stress surrounding the very volatile stock market and economy at the time, how to build confidence in that moment. And I don't think things have gotten any better. I think we still have challenges ahead. And so to help us rid of some of these mental roadblocks or whatever's in your way between you and your financial goals this year. Nicole's got some really important advice. Later in the episode, she talks about her own personal transition from being a stay-at-home mother to a full-time breadwinner in her household, what calculations she made to know that that was the right move for her, an important discussion there as well. Here's Nicole Stanley. Nicole Stanley, Happy New Year and welcome back to So Money. It's great to See you, hear you. How have you been? So good. Thanks, Farnish, for having me back on. Yeah, you were back. Uh, you were on the show May 16th, 2022. I'm looking at our episode right now. And what an episode. I mean, I felt like after we recorded such a powerful conversation about money and anxiety, this is really your corner of the world as a financial advisor, helping your clients through this, all the stresses that we all have about money with your methodology. You walked us through it on the episode. I thought, wow, you're, you've changed people's lives. And you really did. Cause how many people following that episode came to find you? Oh my gosh. It was great. I was able to meet a ton of your listeners via meeting them online through email, phone calls, and um, was able to work with some great people that I'm still working with actually. But it was awesome because that message of anxiety and realizing that financial stress was a problem to be solved instead of like a sentence of your life, mm-hmm. I think was a really, really powerful thing for people to connect with and made them want to make a change. So I loved being on your podcast last time and I'm excited for our conversation today. Yes. And so to pick up from our conversation from last spring, wanted to bring you back on the show to give us some important advice on how to approach our money at the top of the year. For me, I've already expressed it on this podcast as a, as a creator, as an entrepreneur. The new year freaks me out because I look around and there's so much so much aggressive energy with, yeah. from the sales and the join my 30-day this and my 60-day that and my webinar this and my course that. And I'm like, I just want to gracefully ease into the year 
am I allowed to do that? I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't want to feel behind. And yet I, I, I feel like maybe I should just turn off social media. Maybe that's the advice. I say this because I think there are a lot of us out there, wherever you are, if, whether you're an entrepreneur or you work at the corporate ladder or you have a side hustle, there is a lot of anxiety in terms of how we earn and how we spend at the top of the year. We want to make all these changes. But firstly, like, I'd love for you to share some advice on that piece. And then second, we'll get into personal journey of yours, which was transitioning from stay-at-home parenting to full-time career mom and now expecting your third. Okay <laughs> yeah. I shared that. Congratulations. Thanks. You know, this is near and dear to my heart, understanding how you can make stay-at-home parenting work financially. And if it's not working financially, how to transition out of that to something that is more financially secure for you and your family. But let's first start with your New Year's advice. What I think is interesting about 2023 is I forget where it came out, but this is the first year that financial goals surpassed weight loss goals for 20 for New Year's resolutions, mm. which I think is super fascinating because it's showing that right now most people are feeling stressed about their money, right? If you yes. are making a goal around your money, it's because you see some sort of improvement that you're going to make. And I think you hit the nail on the head because a lot of people, when they get into the personal finance space, they jump in online and they're like, let's see all the financial experts I can follow, right? I'm going to follow this person with 100,000 followers, 1 million followers, right? And they kind of like fill their feed with all of this advice, as well as all of these people who are 20 steps ahead, 20 steps ahead saying, Hey, join my thing, do my thing. I'm going to help you pay off all your debt in, you know, 30 days or whatever it might be. And I think that it does bring even more anxiety to people when they start entering this space and they get bombarded with so much information. I think it's amazing that people are, have finances on the forefront of their mind. It makes sense because of our economy, because of what we've seen with inflation, because of what we're seeing with layoffs and job loss. It's totally normal for money to be on your mind during the first you know, few months of the year. I think the question is how you act on it that's really going to show us what your results are going to be this year. One of the things I talk about a lot with my clients is there's a trap of the all or nothing mentality when it comes to your money. It's like you come in, you set these goals and you're like, I'm going to go on a no spend challenge, right? Or I'm going to join this no spend challenge, this coupon challenge, this like this other thing, right? And we're really in that all mentality. So, you know, most New Year's resolutions don't follow through, yeah. right? And it's usually because of the expectations that we set coming into the year. Mm -hmm. So I think that you're you talking about kind of wanting to ease into the year is a great way to frame coming into the new year with your financial goals. And one of the things that I would encourage somebody who's listening to this, who maybe feels that, right? Like you feel that urgency. You're like, hey, I want to change. That's not a bad feeling. I would encourage you to step away from the noise, step away from all the books just for a moment. Ask yourself, what are the three things I want to focus on? The three things that I think I could accomplish this quarter, you're paying off, you know, $30,000 worth of credit card debt. I don't know what your income is, but if you don't have the income to be able to pay that off in a quarter, right, you might make that a little bit smaller. Like this quarter, I want to pay off 2000 extra mm -hmm. of my mm -hmm. credit card debt or, you know, whatever it might be and have those smaller goals and seeing like, okay, these are my needle movers. My needle movers right now might be asking for a raise at work. My needle mover right now might be seeing if I can lower my grocery bill by 10%. Another needle mover might be, you know, I've had kids for six years and I don't have any term life insurance. 
that stresses me out. That's something you can do in a quarter. But I think that what happens is we set these huge goals that are that feel so insurmountable that we never get started on them. Mm-hmm. And then once you've identified, hey, these are the three things that I think I can accomplish this quarter and that would actually move me forward. I can see how this is a little step on the journey. One, you're going to feel more motivated because you're going to be able to accomplish them or you're going to be able to accomplish two of them. And it's going to help you actually keep the trajectory going throughout the year instead of getting burnt out. Like those people who say, I'm going to go to the gym every day and then they fall off the wagon. Right. So kind of like one day and you think you've lost all momentum. Exactly. Right. So asking the biggest thing you can do is just say, how can I get out of all or nothing and do something that is actually going to be accomplishable and then look for resources that support the goal you're trying to hit. If, if January could just be the month of reflection, taking inventory, we don't have, we don't give ourselves that time in January. We just go right to the goal and the action plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can we? we? We just finished a very stressful year, especially like November, December with everything going on, deadlines, family, travel. You're not in a space to really think reflectively and I'll I'll tell you like uh, one non-financial thing that I've been doing at the top of the year, which has been helping me become clearer about my finances is just exercising more and Mm -hmm. slowing down a little bit, you know, intentionally slowing down everything, the walking, the eating, the getting back to emails, the bedtime routine. Like I'm not in a rush. And in that, I think in that slowness, you, it's inevitable. I think you uh, become more thoughtful. Your consciousness rises and and that does pour into your financial life. I mean, I went to, um, maybe you saw me on Instagram talk about how I accidentally stumbled into a 60 minute mindful meditation guide, guided by <laughs> guided meditation. This no. is not my cup of tea. I don't like to be with my thoughts for an hour in a group setting. It's just not um, how I, I like to process things. Yeah. Nevertheless, I stayed. I thought I was going in for a yoga class. I, I should really read those schedules a little bit more closely before I sign myself up for things. But in that hour, you really have a chance to be with your thoughts for better or worse. And I realized like, okay, maybe I need to just focus on a few things this year as opposed to all of the things. What's the theme? I want to just do the things that make me happy. I'm not yeah. stupid. I'm not going to do the things that are going to be financially ruinous for me, but I'm but that are also fun and happy. Like the alignment for me from when it comes to work is doing something that I want to do that brings joy, that also pays, you know, I'm in a place right now where I have financial independence and security to do that. I've afforded that for myself. So I don't have to just do the thing for the money. It's a very nice place to be in, but let's take advantage of it now. Having that those like, you know, just that hour over the weekend to be with my thoughts. And you can do this on a walk. You know, you don't have to sign up for a class. Sometimes we have to get, like you said, we have to pull out, get out of our financial life to figure out what is going to be the roadmap. You're so good at this. Just keep going. (laughs) No, I mean, I love the reflection because I think that it's something, like you said, there's a lot of aggressive energy in the new year, right? And like new year, new you. And you know, I'm going to set this goal and that goal and, you know, all of these goals. I think that that is the thing that most people are craving is for their finances to feel a little bit simpler, a little bit less high adrenaline or high cortisol. There's so many of us who associate 
our money with stress or adrenaline, that state that we put ourselves in, especially in the new year. If you have disappointment about how you ended last year, if you're looking at some of the decisions you made last year with regret, you're coming into this year with some maybe some shame, that energy is so hard to change. And I think that that's what the new year can bring you is a new opportunity to ask yourself, okay, what is my relationship with money? How do I want it to feel? So if I want my money to feel less stressful, well, how can I make planning my budget a little bit more stressless? Am I doing it while my kids are screaming for mac and cheese and I'm trying to put over laundry and I'm, you know, answering a bunch of calls and I'm like just doing things that are stressful while I'm checking in my money and on my money? Or am I doing it at night with like a candle lit, right? Or early in the morning before my kids have woken up with a cup of tea, some nice music on. Those are things that you can control. Asking yourself like, what type of energy am I bringing to this? And I think that that energy affects the decisions that you make. Because when we're stressed, when we're feeling like agitated, when we come and look at our budget or we're looking at our financial goals or we look at our debt or our mistakes, that puts us in this like reactionary fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. And most of us, when we make decisions in that place, it doesn't always end well. We're letting our emotions lead as opposed to owning those emotions and, and really like having an emotional intelligence yeah. um, about how we're feeling. We're not saying ignore your fears or your anxiety or your stress, or they show up for a reason, but to allow them to just override the intellectual right. thoughts is is not the safe way to go. I really appreciate what you said about, you know, we a lot of us come in, um, not just to the new year, but we carry throughout the year shame and guilt and embarrassment because maybe we didn't become homeowners as when we thought we were not married when we thought we should be, or we didn't have, you know, all the sort of financial milestones that we're, we're yeah. told, like society sort of orients us towards. Um, and for, for various reasons, we don't hit them. And it's not because you didn't want it enough, you didn't work hard enough. Sometimes there are external factors at play that are out of your control. And I know it's really hard to let go of those, those sort of negative emotions, but to recognize sometimes, you know, that you can only control what is within your control and that you're not alone in your, you know, the fact that last year wasn't a banner year for your finances. Yeah. In terms of simplifying, you brought that term up. I think it's so important when you're trying to reduce stress and even just become more efficient in your financial life. Simplification is the key. A lot of times people come to me and they're saying, you know, I have all these different IRAs and 401ks from previous jobs. Should I put them all under one brokerage? And, you know, mathematically, it probably won't matter. But from a logistical, reducing stress standpoint, I think streamlining your finances goes a very long way, bringing you that sense of empowerment over your money, having easy access to your money. So in terms of simplification, what are some of your tips? Yeah. I think the first thing when it comes to simplification is people when they approach their money for the first time, or maybe again for the third time, right? It's totally welcoming you back. We have this idealistic way that we want things to be. And I think part of that is because we look at our money as a reflection of ourselves and we judge it really harshly often, right? So like if we look at our eating out budget and we think it's too high, that can sh- that can start some guilt or, you know, oh, I want this to change, right? So you kind of will like fudge things on paper 
so that it mm-hmm. makes you look better, makes you feel better about yourself. If you want to simplify your finances, the first thing you have to do is be honest with yourself and to tell yourself straight up, these numbers are just numbers. They're not a reflection of how good of a parent I am, how good of a person, how good I am at my career. They're just numbers and they're just a starting point, kind of depersonalizing the the numbers that you're seeing. And then the next thing is if you're able to depersonalize and say, okay, my only goal here is to figure out what's, what's real. How much am I really spending here? How much does my house really cost me? Not just your mortgage. When you have a bad electric bill, what does that actually cost? Because often we'll say like, oh, well, it's normally, you know, my water bill is $50. It's like, well, what's your worst water bill that you've had? And it's like, well, $300. And that's a huge gap. So I think the first thing you can do is look for what's real and overestimate everywhere that you can. I think that that's something that stresses people out. Because it's like they don't want to think about the four months of the year where their electric bill is twice or three times what their, you know, another time of the year. But I think it's helpful because it sets you up to not be disappointed by your results. So looking at your bills, I call it looking for your worst case bill and budgeting for that every single month. Because what it creates for you is this positive experience when you look at your money and you see, oh, my electric bill wasn't $350. This was a month that it was $150. I have 200 extra dollars. That feels really good. And that experience of your money giving you like that dopamine is something that you keep coming back for. That's what that part of your brain does. It says, I want more of this. I want to look at my money more. I want to check in on it more. And so estimating your worst bills, estimating the higher end of your spending everywhere, because it's going to give you that same experience. And then the other thing that I would recommend is utilizing modern banking. You know, I've maybe met two or three clients who use banking to their advantage. Gone are the days where you have to just have one checking account and one savings account at the same bank. You can set up a financial system that's personalized to you, that is free of fees. There's so many banks that offer no fees. So, you know, you can really design the system that's going to work for you and not feel like the only way to do that is to meticulously track your checking account, mm-hmm. which most of us don't have the energy for, but that you can set up a system that would you know, fit your lifestyle, be really clear for you, and be realistic. I call it like rigging the system. I like to mm-hmm. set things up so that people find that they exceed their expectations, but that they've planned for the different part of it, right? So instead of mm-hmm. saying like groceries are really stressful right now for a lot of people, And many of us are trying to fit our 2019 budget into 2023, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Our world is different. So instead of saying, you know, how can I make this this, say, I'm going to budget what it actually costs. What it actually costs. What's the worst it's going to be? And then at the end of the day, when you look at your budget and you see, hey, I've still got extra money with this all of these worst bills, like it's going to provide that sigh of relief. And if you're somebody who looks at it after and says, crap, you know, I can't really make my worst month. Well, then you get to be a problem solver, Mm -hmm. right? How bad you get to see the bad, you know, the worst in the face. You get to say, what, am I $500 short? Okay. What, what do I want to do to make up this difference? Mm-hmm. And you get to solve the problem before it actually hits you. So I think it's like a really great practice to overestimate 
utilize modern banking and depersonalize. That's not in the same order I said it, but whatever. Depersonalize, (laughs) depersonalize the numbers that you're seeing, whether it be your debt, whether it be your, you know, savings, look at it as a starting point and you're going to have a much clearer head with less stress and you're going to make better decisions. In my forthcoming book, I talk about when it comes to your money, how, you know, when you have fear around your money, okay, let's, let's take that as far as we can. Um, let's, let's use that fear to our advantage. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Let's yeah. rec- let's like play that, play out that scenario. And that's kind of like you gave a micro example of that with your grocery bill, but beyond your grocery bill too, you know, thinking about um, if you if you are worried and concerned about losing your job this year or a divorce creating financial stress in your personal life, well, let's go there. Not for the sake of because I like to like get everyone scared. I'm not, I'm not a crazy person, but because there is a value to this exercise where you cannot deny what you're seeing, and that to your point would allow you to reverse engineer today when things are still, you have, your two feet are planted. You mm-hmm. can start to problem solve as opposed to when you're in that moment and then it's just too overwhelming to think straight. I love that. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the importance of running the numbers, transitioning now to your personal story of deciding to become a stay-at-home parent. You ran the numbers what do the numbers tell you? And what, what do you wish in the calculation should have been for you? I think like most women who become mothers at some point, they experience this existential question of should I stay at home or should I be a working mom? And there's all of these societal implications, internal implications, friends, community, family. It's a really big decision. And when I became a mom, I was younger. I think a lot of women become moms when they're younger. They're at the beginning-ish of their career. When I sat down, I was like, I'm going to be, I'm, you know, I was already struggling with financial anxiety. My husband and I, we didn't make a ton of money at the time. And I experienced financial anxiety our whole, you know, first couple years of marriage. So when I got pregnant, that just exacerbated what I was feeling where it was like, oh my gosh, I got to make a good financial decision. And The only way that I looked at that decision, and I've noticed this for other people too, is I looked at my salary and I looked at the cost of daycare. And I said, okay, how does this compare? And I didn't just look at my gross salary. I was looking at what was getting deposited into my account and saying, oh my gosh, do I really want to work for $3 an hour or, you know, whatever your salary net home, you know, net take home would be. And I think a lot of women just succumb like I did. I said, it makes more financial sense. For me to stay home. Yeah. Why do we do this? Why do we do this to ourselves? Isn't childcare benefiting the whole unit? Everybody wins. Opening it up so that both parents can be financially active and providing for the family in a financial way. You know this. I think we see that now. Both of us have children that we trust people for childcare. But when you're a new mom, all you think about is the only vision of childcare that you see is like this dirty daycare, right? Mm-hmm. The way that a lot of people say, oh, I could never put my child in daycare to have somebody else raise my kids. There's so much guilt attached to this decision that, you know, whether it's internal, external, whatever it might be, I think it's one of the biggest factors at play for people. It was for me. I was like, I'm going to be 
you know, ideal and whatever. The only thing I didn't realize was that I hated everything about being a stay-at-home mom. And that was my personal discovery over time. What I had to grapple with and what I see a lot of my clients grapple with who are, you know, deciding maybe they don't want to be a stay-at-home mom anymore. They're having some of those same realizations is that nobody's ever given them permission to prioritize themselves Mm -hmm. or for them to have wants or needs, or maybe, you know, that they don't want to do all the domestic tasks that that they're now in charge of. I think that that's a really powerful thing for young moms to consider is that your choice to be a stay-at-home mom is not just about what your salary is compared to what the cost of childcare is. What I wish I would have considered before I made this decision was I needed to look at my husband's salary and look at the life that was going to be available to me and say, am I okay with this? All I was looking at was my salary to say, what's the choice I need to make? When a lot of women at the beginning, we can see, oh, there's not going to be money for vacations. There's not going to be money for investments. Some women there are, I'm not saying this is everyone, right? But some people, when they look at their budget and what it's going to be, there's not going to be as many kids activities. There's not going to be date nights. Are you okay with that? And allowing you to answer that question, because what I find is that a lot of women post-decision, like me, right? I was stay at home and I was saying, I want to take a vacation. But I felt like I didn't have the option to make that happen because Mm -hmm. of the decision I made about my salary. I think number one is asking yourself, do you actually want, are you okay with this life, right? Like, and you might be, there are some women that find immense satisfaction and this is not to those women, you know, like this is not bashing on them, but for the women who know that they're not, mm-hmm. this is a, this is about sharing, you know, what I wish I would have considered. I think also asking yourself about the domestic tasks that you have to do, taxiing, grocery shopping, laundry, mopping the floor, cleaning the dishes, cooking. Do you want to not be able to afford to delegate that? or even one part of that. What do those things do for your energy? What kind of mom are you, right? Mm -hmm. I was, because I was struggling, you know, with postpartum depression too, I was a crabby stay-at-home mom. That was my experience. I was always trying to get something done. I was always frustrated with my time. I was always wishing that I could call a babysitter for an hour to be able to take a shower and just Mm -hmm. be by myself. But I didn't realize like, the mental energy of taking all of that on, being a parent seven days a week and asking yourself, is that something you actually want? And for some women, yes. But if it's not, giving yourself permission to say, okay, what are the other options available to me? Because what I also wish that I would have done is I could have looked at my situation that day when I was making the decision to be a stay-at-home mom, but ask myself, well, what about 10 years from now? Yes. What might my career be like 10 years from now? Will I still be making $3 an hour after the cost of childcare mm-hmm. or not? Will I be able to invest in retirement? What will that do to my husband and I's retirement age? You're not going to be paying into social security. That's going to have a financial impact. I'm glad you raised that because for me, it, it, it really does always come back to people always say, why are you so you know strong-minded around stay-at-home parenting? You seem like you just, you hate all stay-at-home parents. <clears throat> and no, I don't hate 
stay-at-home parents. Au contraire. I hate that our world doesn't support people financially, whatever they choose to do. Like if you're working from home and caring for your family, I wish that we could compensate you somehow because it's real work and it should be really compensated for. It is not. So in the absence of that, how do you plan to be compensated? And I, I mean- I don't know. That's for you and your partner to decide. Maybe there is an actual where like he or she takes part of the paycheck and deposits into your personal account because you've been working hard. I would argue like one of the most or if not the most important job in the household. Yep. I saw on TikTok, somebody said, people can't believe that I drafted a prenup with my husband that says, if you want me to be the stay-at-home parent, I will gladly do it. But if we get divorced, you have to pay me a certain salary for like nine years or 10 years or whatever it is. Because the reality is if you're home and you haven't been working, it's going to take you a while to get back to where you were professionally and, and financially. So in that interim period, your spouse, your ex, who benefited from having your household support all of those years should pay you. And I think it's, you know, it's brilliant. It's what they decided to do. Finally, I saw something positive around stay-at-home parenting on TikTok because a lot of the stuff is like, look at me, I wake up and I have my chai latte and then I take my yoga and then um, my cleaning lady comes and we go out to dinner and I'm like, well, what, what about the dark side, which is that you don't have your own money actually. Yeah. And I think that that's the part that is so important for somebody to hear who is a stay-at-home mom who's feeling maybe dissatisfied in some area of their life. Like maybe they feel dissatisfied because they, you know, don't have time to themselves or whatever it might be that why I love bringing money and mental health together is because they're so connected. Like when, when you as a parent don't feel empowered, like you can make choices in your life, I could bet nine times out of 10, your finances are playing a role in that. Mm-hmm. If you feel trapped as a stay-at-home mom or you feel like you don't have the opportunities or the the lifestyle that you want to have, your money is going to be a huge part of that process. And that's what it was for me. You know, when I started taking control of my finances as a stay-at-home mom, I realized like, oh, I'm tired. If I want to be able to afford childcare, what do I need to do, right? My brain started mm-hmm. turning, If I want to, like, I hate doing laundry. I hate it. What would it take? It puts that problem-solving hat back on your head, which I think is where the problem lies is when you feel like I'm just set here. There's nothing I can do, you know, because I don't want to feel the guilt of working. You know, number one, there is so many options. It's not just daycare and corporate job. We live in a time where there's more remote work than there ever has been, right? Mm -hmm. There's more flexible work options, part-time, you know, going into an office, not whatever you desire, you know, nanny sharing, you can be creative and there's a spectrum for you to choose from, right? Of how you want to work and how you want to contribute. For me, when I got to be working again, I was able to focus on, wow, this actually fills me up. So that's an emotional thing too, But being able to contribute to the financial health of my family made me feel just all together like I had more choices. Yeah. I'm totally biased, but I think I'm a better mom right now just because I'm able to not be that screechy laundry 
crazy woman. I mean, like, I just, I can see that in myself. And Mm -hmm. I just know that there are so many people who, so many women who, who put away their desires. They just say like, I want this, but you know, I don't know. Or like, I want a new kitchen, but we're never going to be able to afford it for, yeah, you know, 10, 20 years. And every day I'm in my kitchen, it drives me nuts. And what I want to say to those women is just like, what if you didn't put guilt on yourself for Mm -hmm. wanting these things? What if you allowed yourself to desire certain things for your life, desire things for yourself as a person, not just as a mom, but as a human being who's a member of your family? And how can your finances help you do that? Like, mm-hmm. that's a really empowering shift that, Frank, I mean, it changed my life, but I know that letting go of that guilt can be so hard. But um, I think it's worth it because when moms are happy, when moms feel empowered, when moms are treated as a person, the whole family benefits, the whole society benefits, your children benefit. It's a ripple effect of good things. And I think that that's incredible. Well, I think the work that you do with your clients is just phenomenal. I mean, last time you were here, you talked about how, fun fact, your average client at Arise Financial Coaching saves 20,000 in six months without giving up on things that they love. You help them get there. Your story of shifting away from stay-at-home parenting then led you to becoming the breadwinner in your family. By the way, if you want to hear Nicole's full like background story, go check out, uh, I think it was episode 1357. I'll put that link in our show notes. You don't have to go looking for it, but um, I encourage you to listen to this and go back and listen to Nicole when she first came on So Money back in May of last year. And it's so nice to reconnect would love to have you back. If any of this resonates with you, you say to yourself, like, I want to see a change in that. I want to be somebody who feels less stressed about their finances. Go online. You can go to arise.financial. That is my company's website where you can see client testimonials and find out more about financial coaching and if it's what you need. Thank you so much, Nicole. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks so much to Nicole for joining us. I've got the links to her website and her social profiles in our show notes if you'd like to if you'd like to learn more about her and reach out. Thanks for tuning in and I hope your day is so money. Money.